Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The AFI Docs Film Fest kicks off today, so I'm saluting past honorees of its annual Guggenheim Symposium. Werner Herzog received the honor in 2016 and joined me to discuss his most unique career, from fiction work like Fitzcarraldo to documentaries like Grizzly Man. Well, I appreciate to be in Washington, D.C., haven't been here for a while, (laughs) and I find it an impressive place. When was the last time you were here? Uh, About two years ago. Unfortunately, never a really long time, maximum something like three days. I've never really stayed here for more time, and in a way it's... It's not right. I should be here more, more time and longer time. <laughs> well, um, we're excited to have you here at AFI Docs. You're a fascinating person to have for this because unlike some of the you know previous years where they're just strictly documentary, you sort of cross both you know narrative fiction and documentary. Aguirre, Wrath of God, and Fitzcarraldo have sort of that doc sort of style, even though they're fiction films. Um, but then you got Grizzly Man and Lo and Behold. What's your take on the lines being blurred between the two? Are they just different ex- extensions of the same medium to you? Well, it's all movies for me. That's as simple as that. But of course, uh, for me, uh, the line is not that clear and it's in a way blurred. There's casting, for example, and you see it in Lo and Behold. It's very well cast. And I do the same thing in other documentaries and I stylize my documentaries and I I become inventive sometimes, but for the sake of looking into a deeper, more illuminating truth. Um, So I've called it uh, an ecstasy of truth, an ecstatic truth. And uh, I think much of what you are seeing today in documentaries is an extension of journalism. And I think we should divorce ourselves, a part of documentary filmmaking should be divorced from journalism. It should not be so completely fact-based. Facts uh, do not illuminate you per se. Uh, In other words, the phone directory of Manhattan, four million entries would be the, and all of them factually correct, would be the book of books, but it is not. It doesn't illuminate you. And uh, I'm just saying that because I think uh, in documentary filmmaking we should look beyond what is factual and beyond what uh, is a journalistic quest for something like investigative journalism. That's what you see quite often. Totally okay, but it belongs more to television and it's a part of journalism. I try to divorce myself from, from it. Awesome. There's the next documentary, The Phone Book. Werner Herzog reads The Phone Book. <laughs> no, not really. I, I actually, <laughs> I, I'm actually uh, uh, finishing right now a film on volcanoes. And uh, I've seen uh, very, very 
strange, unusual places. I filmed in North Korea, among all places, yeah. which is uh, totally unusual, and, and everything is different there than for us. Very fascinating, and in Africa, in Ethiopia, and recently Indonesia, and uh, Vanuatu archipelago in the Pacific. So um, I just follow my, my fascinations, and I... I'm still trying to be a good soldier of cinema. And for that, lo and behold, is an ideal sort of piece to watch. Uh, I'm personally somebody who doesn't use cell phones, for example. Not because I'm nostalgic. I do not use it for cultural reasons. I do not want to be available all the time. I do not want to examine the world uh, through applications on my cell phone. And, by the way, when you speak about cyber warfare, I do not want any hacker, whether it be a private person or a government agency, to know all the time where I am and how many minutes at uh, what time I'm calling whom and I receive calls. Nobody can track me down unless you have somebody sniffing around in this hotel <laughs> and finding room 411 and, and uh, checking out, yes, I'm sitting here with you. I think we can derive uh, a lot of joy through the internet mm -hmm. and through our cell phones, but ultimately uh, we have to create a filter and we don't have a clear idea what the filter and how it should be. How would we limit our time on cell phones? What would we exactly do with our cell phones or our internet connections? Mm -hmm. I use the internet via my laptop, for example, mm -hmm. but very limited. I uh, use it for emails. Sometimes when it comes to family uh, in, on another continent, I do Skype, mm -hmm. and sometimes I look at Google Maps. Mm -hmm. So, But that's basically it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do not use a cell phone. Um, so, and, and I know exactly why I, I don't want it. And many people do not have this kind of filter. And we are losing, for example, uh, the capacity of uh, conceptual deeper thinking because we delegate the examination of the world to our applications. And that's it. I give you an example. <clears throat> One of my editors has a girlfriend who uh, visited him literally every day uh, by car in Los Angeles, and she's only a mile and a half away. Uh, only three uh, uh, turns re left or right. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Mm -hmm. She always was on her internet-based uh, global how do you call it, GPS, and of course found him. The voice would tell her, turn left now, go straight, turn right, and you're there. Her GPS system was down one day and she couldn't find him. So that's, that's an interesting sort of thing that she had no conceptual idea about a very simple pattern where she was and where he was. And she did it 40 times in the last 30 days. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of... And, and delegating, yes, but delegating it, and, and uh, I say it only as a metaphor to many other things. I think there is not enough uh, preparation for a failure of the internet. Slowly we start to comprehend because it can be uh, stopped or wiped out uh, for a 
quite some periods of time because let's say massive solar flares and that would mean um, we cannot do any financial transactions anymore you cannot buy a hamburger because a cash register is connected to the internet you cannot make any phone calls your electrical system would be down you cannot pump gasoline anymore you cannot flush your toilet anymore you have no drinking water from your tap because it's all dead uh, no light, nothing, no elevator functioning, uh, no website. And so we are very, very vulnerable. And uh, what I think first uh, alarm signals are out there, we have to somehow stabilize ourselves by um, reducing the complete and total dependency on the internet just reduce it. I hear very often we should get rid of uh, cash money. Uh, it would be so much easier just to do it all electronically or even through Bitcoin, a ghost sort of a mm -hmm. specter out there that you can't grasp. And I think that's wrong. We should rather maintain cash money because it is self-authenticating. You can tell this hundred dollar bill is not a fake. We have clear indications, it's self-authenticating. And my advice is uh, keep a lot of small denominations, okay. <laughs> uh, like $1, $5, $10, $20 bills. You still can buy a hamburger when the cash register is down. You still ca can buy the hamburger. But if you have a $100 bill, nobody can give you change. <laughs> so you better have a lot of cash, stash away cash money. Uh, for emergencies and you would be able to survive let's say a fortnight mm -hmm. easily so uh, and the dependence on um, electronic money and transactions via the internet uh, is fine and useful and uh, very easy to to handle but it has its dangers and you you should have a fallback position when you're shooting, lo and behold, were there any um, pleasant surprises, happy accidents when you're shooting? I remember in Grizzly Man, you make a point in the narration of saying when Mr. Treadwell, he signs off, but then he keeps the camera rolling and the fox trots in there with the bears, and you say, and you make a point of that. Was there anything like that in, in this one? Everything in this film was a surprise <laughs> because I'm so remote from, from all these subjects and, and all these ways of thinking and utilizing the internet. So, and, and of course, I've seen the utmost glory of the internet, um, deciphering a complicated uh, folding pattern of enzymes for research into um, cancer and AIDS, some very fundamental research. And the biggest supercomputers in the world could not solve it. And a mathematician and computer scientist, a very young man, puts it out on the internet for the video game community. And they respond. And, and their response was beautiful. Number one, over a million played it. And they communicated <laughs> with each other. And they solved it collectively. So there's a glory in it. And uh, uh, Rob robotic uh, progress and uh, soccer team that eventually will beat the Brazilian, real Brazilian team in 2050 or so. <laughs> and they will eventually. Uh, I find it very, very fascinating. But of course, I also shout uh, the very dark side, cyberbullying and uh, uh, 
I mean, you you just name it. It's horrifying what's happening, or cyber or addiction to the internet, addiction to video games. And the addiction is as serious as uh, there is addiction to heroin, for example. Yeah, that's true. Um, contrast um, thematically, um, sort of the theme of of Grizzly Man with this. It's pretty obvious dichotomy. I mean, one is sort of saying we we've sort of lost touch with this the primal nature and and and, and I mean even Treadwell says you know he's before the fateful night is is upset at the current technical world and with an airplane ticket or something um explain sort of the dichotomy of theme between that and now in extension to this well grizzly man would be uh, uh, some sort of a contrast to it however uh, the main tragedy of Timothy Treadwell and his girlfriend, who both were killed and eaten by a bear, was a deep misunderstanding of, of what constitutes wild nature. For them, it was a Disneyization of wild uh, nature. The grizzlies are very nice, sweet teddy bears, and you can sing songs to them, and you can you can even hug them. Wrong. So that's that's a tragedy. But I think, lo and behold, is closer to. A film like uh, uh, Encounters, uh, no, sorry, um, Cave, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, uh, which examines the first uh, 32,000 years dating back uh, pictorial messages that we receive mm -hmm. from Paleolithic people and the awakening of the human soul and the awakening of art uh, and music and things like this. Or, for example, a film like The Enigma of Kaspar Hauser, a feature film about a young man, uh, just adolescent, who was found in the street. It, uh, it goes back to a historical case where he was kept captive in a basement uh, without light and without ever, ever seeing a human being or a house or a tree or clouds or hearing human language. And all of a sudden he's exposed to the real world. Yeah and left as a foundling in the middle of the city of Nuremberg. And he, at a grown-up age, like an alien that has fallen down onto our planet, has to start examining what is this world all about? Who are these other people? How do they communicate? They have something like language. I have to learn it. <laughs> and so it's probably a better companion piece. And. Uh, Subjects like that have always somehow fascinated me. So Lo and Behold is not a singular film that is somehow out out of line with I have done before. A filmmaker cannot really answer and I cannot give you any redemption. However, I'm pointing out uh, uh, the, the, the joys of what, what is available for us. Uh, conceptual thinking how does it function? We should not lose it. And if you are, if you are reading a lot, for example, if you do not abandon reading, if you not, do not delegate it just to a few tweets that are sent out by some uh, politicians who function basically via tweets and via populist uh, statements, uh, you better prepare yourself for seeing behind this. Reading, uh, using the internet prudently, um, and uh, taking whatever action you need to, to take in whatever position you are taking at the ballot, at least go out and vote. 
that's a real power that you have and it shouldn't be underestimated how how powerful every single voice is so i do not worry too too much about it because uh, uh, the purely populist uh, doesn't have much of a survival chance well i don't have a thesis and otherwise i would be in academia um, very often uh, films stumble into me and they uh, come uninvited uninvited guests are like burglars in the night and you wake up at three in the morning and there's some something noise in your kitchen and you are surprising four burglars in there and while we are sitting here I, I literally have three other films finished that are not uh, published yet I have yet another film which will be finished uh, in a few weeks and then I have yet another one so uh, I can never somehow catch up and be quick enough to uh, follow up. While we are sitting here I, I have five, six other projects that are already coming at me. <laughs> uh, so it's it's not that I have, I'm, I'm never planning a career now, next should be a film about this or that. It's just uh, overwhelmed by things that are coming at me and I see some films uh, in front of my eyes so clearly as if I were sitting in the theater. This is why I can write a screenplay so fast. I've never uh, spent more than a week in writing a screenplay. And this is why I do not need to shoot that much. A film, uh, and I see young filmmakers who come at me and they're exuberant. I shot 650 hours in this <laughs> sort of things and I'm, I'm editing since a year and a half and my heart is sinking because the market itself doesn't allow this amount of time and wasting of, of uh, time, energy, money to make all this kind of film. Normally the market doesn't allow it. Since I see something so clearly, I, I would shoot a film like Into the Abyss about death row. My main uh, person of interest was a young man. <coughs> My main person of interest was a young man who was executed eight days later in Texas. and. For the entire film, which is almost two hours long, I shot some eight hours of footage. Mm. And because it's such a small amount of footage, I can edit very fast. Mm. And today the editing tools, digital editing, um, is so fast uh, that I can edit almost, almost as fast as I'm thinking. When you look at uh, 4,000 million people on this planet who are using their cell phones and doing photos and selfies. And so you, <coughs> when you look at all these photos, you realize that there is uh, um, such a thing as, as real high caliber art photos. And they do not come from these 4,000 million users. And it encourages me as, as a filmmaker, go, go out, search for uh, the other image that uh, is not uh, exposed on, on your cell phone. However, there are coming surprises from cell phones because it's so many and all of a sudden somebody discovers uh, surprising new terrain. But it's very rare. 
and I, I welcome what, what I see sometimes on, on the internet. Sometimes YouTube has wonderful little things that we had, nobody had expected, nobody had on his radar. Of course we know uh, cats can be very crazy and <laughs> 60, 60, 60 seconds crazy cat video is, is just very delightful. I had a bad night and I want to see a cat video uh, before I even touch my coffee in the morning. <laughs> and uh, it just makes makes you feel lighter but um, what I'm doing and you can see it in, in almost all my films is something that uh, illuminates you in a different way Cave of Forgotten Dreams even in Lo and Behold there are moments where it's not so completely new imagery but uh, you, you look into into a certain depth of what constitutes us as human beings right here and right now. Speaking of the, the more serious art side, not the cat videos, um, the serious artists, the serious filmmakers, um, which filmmaker either that came before you or, or currently, both on the documentary side filmmaker and on the fiction side, do you think has inspired you the most? Nobody has inspired me because I hardly see any films. I watch something like three films a year, so much less than an average moviegoer. And what about before you started? Uh, I had hardly seen any films. I had seen a few very mediocre B and C movies, Sorrow, Dr. Fu Manchu, things like that. Uh, and in a way, I knew I was a poet, and I would do films, and they would be much better than everything around. And my knowledge, yes, I do have some knowledge of film history, but I cannot say that anyone influenced me since I had no knowledge cinema even existed until I was 11. I always had the feeling I'm the inventor of cinema. Wow. And until today, I make films as if I had invented it. <laughs> and sometimes my cinematographer says, yeah, but it should have this or that look. I say, look, what do you mean by that? Yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know, the Transformers or like what, whatever. <laughs> name some name and I say I don't care what others what the look of others is I'm the inventor of cinema and we are inventing cinema right here and now that's what we do yeah. and let's not care about style and let's not care about look style and aesthetics will come in uh, surreptitiously on their own on its own I love that yes. I do not do interviews, I have conversations. Mm -hmm. You see, interview would be with a catalogue of questions. I have nothing written on me. Mm -hmm. I just uh, follow my curiosity. Well, I do my work and that's it. Uh, but uh, I have entered into consciousness of uh, wider pop culture by playing a villain in Jack Reacher right. <laughs> or by uh, having a guest role in The Simpsons. I didn't even know that The Simpsons, when I was asked to join, I had to ask back, but do they talk, do they speak? Because <laughs> I'd, I'd seen The Simpsons only in newspapers as, uh -huh. a, as, a, as a comic strip. And they said, uh, are you pulling 
our legs. <laughs> the Simpsons are on television since 24 years. <laughs> and of course they do talk. And I said, can you send me a few samples on a DVD so that I can understand how cartoonish the voice has to be. They said, your voice doesn't have to be cartoonish, just keep your accent. <laughs> and I said, that comes easily to me. I didn't even know that uh, the Simpsons were talking, but in a way, um, it was my apotheosis in American pop culture, mm -hmm. or in, uh, what else was it, uh, Parks and Recreation. Mm -hmm. I play a cameo role and it's very, very funny. Mm -hmm. It is really funny. And uh, the kind of humor that I have, uh, which uh, echoes here very visibly, is in most of you would you would find this kind of humor in almost all my films. There's a lot of stuff to laugh, and it's a it's a very unusual type of humor. Sometimes a very dark humor, but uh, you can see the my humor very clearly in in these short moments where I'm in the epicenter of pop culture, and that means an action film with Nicolas Cage. Michael Shannon, he's the best of his generation. No doubt, whatever he does has something magnificent about it. He has an intensity and he's, he's a quintessential movie actor. Tom Cruise, where I was paid handsomely for, for being frightening. And I knew I could do that. <laughs> Although in my, in my private life, I'm absolutely not that kind of a guy as you see him on, on screen. My wife uh, would testify and swear to you that to God or anyone that I'm a fluffy husband. <laughs> <laughs> the cat video of husbands. <laughs> and I think uh, cartoon movies like Penguins of Madagascar, there's a new style, a new form out there that has really evolved beautifully. And, and it connects to children and it connects to families. And that's uh, what the appeal of it is, yes, if I could make a real good film for children, that would be wonderful. And of course, in such a case, I would probably use the modern form of cartoons, but you really have to be in this world. And you, I probably would be better to write a book for children. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, there are very, very good films out for children nowadays, and it's very rare because we didn't have much of that. And whoever manages really to captivate uh, children and enjoy them in storytelling and characters uh, is uh, not the king of the world, but the crown prince of the world. We've all probably seen Burden of Dreams. Yeah. Take me, you know, all these years later, looking back just on the craziness of that shoot. Fitzcarraldo was not a crazy shoot. It was uh, just haunted by complications and uh, catastrophes, and I mean real ones, like two plane crashes, or the whole film uh, ending up at the front in a, in a border war between Peru and Ecuador and my camp was attacked for a thousand people and so and burned down and on and on. So uh, you have to, to understand that uh, whatever is being thrown at me, I have to deal with it and there's no, no chance to be broken by what is happening. At the same time, I'm a very professional person who looks 
at uh, what are the risks out there and I do not need to explore my outer limits. That's a very silly idea uh, of mountain climbers, extreme mountain climbers and others. Um, I'm, I'm a very professionally functioning person and you can tell because I finished the film and I finished many other films that were uh, different but equally complicated and haunted by, by problems and disasters. Is each movie, even the ones that aren't set back like that, like pulling a steamship over a mountain? I mean, there's challenges that come up each time? Yes, just a few weeks ago, I was filming a volcano in Indonesia, and all of a sudden, there's an eruption, and I just happened to catch it, and we had the feeling, I had a very, very professional volcanologist. We filmed this, and, and we decided, get out of here. And farmers who were in this forbidden zone stayed, and only a few days later, seven of them perished in another eruption of, of this very volcano, exactly at the place where we had our camera. So sometimes uh, you you are in, in certain dangers, yes, and uh, huge glowing uh, blobs of, of lava are flying at you. You see, you, you, you do not turn away and run and you do not duck. You look up in the air and you look at the trajectory and if it comes at you, you step out of the way. That's the right thing to do. And, uh, and looking at straight in the face of danger and doing the right thing professionally, that has carried me over so many difficult films. But otherwise, uh, I've done what I had to do and I'm content uh, that I did uh, certain films as feature films, narrative feature films, and others only as documentaries, whereas documentaries is not so clearly distinct from my feature films anyway. All right, cool. Thanks so much, right. sir. Appreciate it. Very much. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.